Amen. Amen. Thank you to the team for leading us in worship this morning. Um, thank you to our tech team for um, helping us get online and, and everything ready. I am um, so excited to get to worship with you this morning. I, I pray that you uh, had a safe and, and a blessed Christmas this year. And, and, and as we gear towards the new year, um, as we set our sights out there, I you know, I, I've been praying about this sermon for this morning, and, and you know, I, I, th- I think a lot of us feel this way, that, it, that at one point we've all been lost. And, and maybe you feel that way now. I mean, maybe you feel a little bit like you know, the, the, the Christmas high is gone, right? All of that excitement, all of whatever that was for you, whether that was around people, whether it was around less people or maybe no people this year, whatever it was, we're, we're kind of you know, past that hump now and, and we're in this kind of aftermath. Or, or maybe you've just been in the midst of the pandemic and, and you haven't been able to set your mind on anything else for the last several months and, and, and you're just kind of left wondering what's next. At some point in our lives, we've all been lost, whether figuratively, whether figuratively or actually, we've, we've all been lost. And... We know how good it feels to be found. We know how good it feels to be found. You know, there's this story that, that's told within my family of the time that, that I was lost as a, as a young child. Uh, I was about five years old, and um, I have a picture to prove that at one point I was five years old. It, it looks um, a little bit like, uh, like this. And um, there I am. I showed my four-year-old this picture, um, and he said, Dad, what's that on your head? And I said, that's, that's my hair, son. <laughs> I, I, I was what they call a toehead. I also had a briefcase for some reason. Um, you know, I apparently had a lot of documents. Anyways, um, so when I was five years old, I was with my parents. I think I was at like a Sam's, and, and it was one of those things where, um, you know, somebody had set me down and thought that the other one was watching me, and, and, and then they both kind of looked up as they were checking out, and, and realized that I wasn't with them, right? In that pit of the stomach feeling that happens, right? Maybe you've had this with your own kids, or maybe you've had this moment in a similar way, that this moment where you've realized you've lost something very, very important. And so here my parents are and in the middle of the store, and they realize that I am not there. And, and, you know, the panic starts to set in. They start looking around in their immediate vicinity and realize that I'm not really close by. And so they started to look more, right? And, and, and my mom describes this moment, and she he says, you know, it felt like several hours, even though it might not have been that long. They, they started to look, and, and they looked so long, in fact, that they started to pull in employees, and the employees went and grabbed the security guard, and the security guard was now um, checking people as they left the store to make sure that I wasn't with them. And, and, and they had many people in this store looking for me as, um, as, as I was lost. And, and, and my, my, my father was walking through this one particular section. Um, it was um, kind of like a, a bedroom section display, right? And there were, there were bunk beds. And, and, and as my dad walked by the bunk beds, he heard me call out and said, hey, dad. And, and he looked up, and there I was on the top of the bunk beds, and I pointed at a TV that was playing at the same time and said, look, dad, a TV. 
And, and I was found after having never known that I was lost. <laughs> and and my, my parents describe, you know, the, the, the joy that they felt in that time, that, that, that this thing that was lost was now found. At one point, we've all been lost, and we know how good it feels to be found and what that says to us, right? What that says to us that when we've been found is that, you know, we, we care. We have set this as a priority in our lives. We, this is important to us. You know, and, and as we come to the Bible this morning, I, I encourage you to grab your Bible, use your Bible this morning, whether it's on your phone or, or maybe you have a physical Bible that you like to use and make notes in, and uh, go ahead and grab it this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 this morning, and, and you know, as we come to these stories in the Gospels, I, I really appreciate this story that we're going to read, because this is probably the most human story in the Bible of the Holy Family, right, of Mary and Joseph and, and of course, their son Jesus, um, who is the Christ, the most human story in which <laughs> Mary and Joseph lose Jesus. Uh, they, they, they actually lose Jesus. They, they misplace the holy child, you know, and, and it's just this great story and, and, and a story that per, perhaps describes the most human qualities of this holy family. We're in the Gospel of Luke, um, so it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's kind of like the section, second half of the Bible we call the New Testament. These are the Gospels, the stories that tell the, the truth of Jesus. We're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 41 this morning. Um, the, the Gospel writer says this, that now every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. And when the festival was ended, they started to return the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. And then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. Right? This is, this is one of those stories that you just, you just know is true. How else could this have happened? Right? Like, so, so Mary and Joseph and Jesus all went to Jerusalem for Passover. It's where the, the temple was. It's where they worshipped. And, and Passover was the high holy day. It was, you know, it was the Christmas of the time. That This is the big deal in um, the life of those who lived in this area. And so they go to Jerusalem and they celebrate Passover. And then they have these kind of like caravans. So it's not just Mary and Joseph that are traveling. It's this entire group of people, many of them probably relatives. And so they're all traveling back home to Nazareth. And, and you read this passage that, you know, they assumed that Jesus was with the other one. At this time, probably men and women traveled separately. There were two different groups. There were men and there were women. And, and then, of course, there were probably children that were running back and forth. And, and, and so, you know, Mary is traveling, assuming that Jesus is with, you know, his other cousins or whatever. And, and, and Joseph is there traveling, assuming that Jesus is with Mary. And, and so they traveled. The scripture says a day's journey. A day's journey. And then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And I imagine there's that moment where they look at each other, right? At the end of a day's journey where they look at each other and, and they have that moment, you know, that, oh no. And, and that moment, maybe some of us, you know, at, at our worst selves start to place blame on the other person. Have you ever done this? You know, like whenever something really bad happens and, and our knee jerk, our gut reaction is to place blame on the other person and say, you know what? I thought he was with you. I thought this was... This was your responsibility. You know, I see this happen a lot. And I see this happen a lot in the church. You know, whenever I, I, I talk to somebody who maybe isn't active in church, 
you know, or, or, or maybe they're not active in their own spirituality. And, and when we ask them about them, when we start to talk to them about that, the blame game starts immediately, you know, and say, well, I would go to church, you know, but my, my spouse doesn't want to get out of bed. You know, I, I, I would read my Bible more often, but, you know, my kids are just always needing attention. You know, I would, I would pray more often, but, you know, th- there's this thing, there's this reason that's external from me why I can't do that thing that I want to do. And at the end of that is, is really just false. It's really just false. That what we know is this, that your spirituality is your own responsibility. It's true. Your spirituality is your responsibility. I mean, un- un- unless you're a child watching this right now and your parents are helping develop you, but even now there are things, steps, responsibilities that you can take now to start developing your own spirituality. But if you're an adult, right, if you're like 17, 18 or older, then your spirituality is your responsibility. And placing blame on other people doesn't help anything. In fact, it tears away at those relationships. It starts to eat away at those relationships that we have, and our spirituality suffers. Your spirituality is, is your responsibility. The church is, is encouraged to help develop and, and to give you tools and things for you to take that responsibility, but your spirituality is your responsibility, and this, this object of placing blame on each other it really just ends in broken relationships and, and a lessened spirituality. And, and so here Mary and Joseph are at the end of a day's journey outside of Jerusalem, back home to Nazareth, and they look at each other and they have that moment, you know, that oh no moment, that pit in their stomach moment. And so they start to search, and then the scripture continues. So we're in the Gospel of Luke again, chapter 2, verse 45, says this, that when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. There are several things that are amazing about this passage, right? First of all, they had traveled a day's journey outside of Jerusalem. And when they realized they didn't find him, they had to travel a day's journey back into Jerusalem. Right? So this entire time, can you imagine the anxiety that they felt? Can you imagine the anxiety that they felt as they traveled back a day's journey to get back to Jerusalem to to look for their son? And then they looked in Jerusalem for three days days three days they were missing their son you imagine on that first day back in jerusalem as they are searching you know they they start to look in all the places that they would think that jesus might go you know all all these places that a young child might be and and they don't find him you know the second day they they start to wonder you know is is he even alive And, and maybe even the third day they've lost all hope that they're looking for their son alive But scripture says that they find him in the temple. And I wonder how they found him in the temple. And I like to believe, scripture doesn't say this, but I like to believe this, that that, that Jesus had drawn a crowd. It said that all who saw it were amazed, right? It makes you think that there are more people than just Mary and Joseph there when they get to the temple. Of course, there's the teachers and leaders, but I think there's more people around. And I wonder if they start to hear people talk outside of the temple about Jesus in the temple. Right? I wonder if as they're looking around and, and, and they start to hear people talk about this young child who was in the temple who was asking these questions. At, at this time in the ancient Near East, in this kind of Hebraic or Hebrew teaching, it, it was intelligent to ask questions. 
right? It, you knew you were intelligent if you could ask questions, not just give answers, but, but ask questions. And here Jesus was not only answering, giving answers, but also asking intelligent questions, receiving information. And here he is, and, and I like to believe that people had talked about it so much that Mary and Joseph heard about it and went to the temple to see Jesus for themselves. And so there they find Jesus in the temple, there they find Jesus in the temple, and, and there, I imagine, was this immediate relief, right? This immediate relief of, oh, thank God we found him. You know, like, we, we didn't think this was going to happen. We didn't think that we were going to find him. Well, thank God we found him. I imagine that there was this immediate relief. But then, you know, there's this idea of, wait, he's been in here for three days and, and hasn't even looked for us. You know, he's been here for three days. And so then, like, after the relief comes this kind of, this, this frustration, maybe even this anger. And we read about it, again, in, in chapter 2, verse 48, it says this, that when Jesus' parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, now there's something here that we're not going to get into this morning. But, but if you want to do some research, look into the fact that Mary says, your father and I, referring to Joseph, right, have been searching for you. But Jesus responds, I was in my father's house, right? Of course, the, the temple, the, uh, I was in God's house. How's my father's house? So, so if you want to, you know, extra credit for you if you want to do some of that. But Jesus has been missing for three days. And, and Mary says, look, we, we've been searching for you in great anxiety. And Jesus, in essence, says, I've been here all along. I think that's instructive for us. People who are, are searching for Jesus. That he's, he's been here all along. It only takes opening our eyes and, and realizing what's been right there in front of us. I want to use this story as, as kind of an analogy for us. This morning, I, I think there are two types of us. When we look at losing Jesus, right? When we look at this, I think there are people, really, we fall into kind of two groups. That at times we've, we've lost Jesus in our busyness. And I, I think this describes all of us. At times we've lost Jesus in our business, and this, this describes all of us. But, but I think, you know, there are kind of two categories of people who have lost Jesus. That maybe you've stepped away from Jesus entirely. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're just kind of checking this out and you're not really sure why you're here. I want to say that you're welcome here. We are so glad that you are here. Maybe you've stepped away from the church entirely. Maybe you grew up in church and you had a bad experience or, or, or maybe you never really had any faith development to speak of and, and, and you're just kind of dipping your toe in the water. Whatever the case is, there are groups of us, there are those of us who have stepped away from Jesus entirely. And, and I want to say what I've discovered is this, that most people leave the church not because of Jesus, but because of other Christians. 
most people leave the church not because of Jesus, but because of other Christians. When I hear that people have stepped away from the church, and I say, well, why is that? Very rarely do I say, I read this story about Jesus, I read this teaching of Jesus, and I just couldn't take it. You know, I read about him feeding the poor, I read about him healing the sick, and I, I just couldn't take it. Very rarely do I see people who have left the church because of Jesus. Most often what I see is that people have left the church because of church people. They say, you know what, I saw this person who, who said they believed in Jesus, but then their actions showed something else. Or maybe even I grew up in a home where, where we said that, you know, these Christian values were our values, but, but I saw it carried out in another way in our home. And if that's you, I just want to say I'm sorry. If that's you, I, I just want to say I'm sorry. And I encourage you just to look for Jesus. Just to keep dipping your toe in the water. Read about Jesus in the Gospels. Just search a little bit harder for, for Christ. And my belief is, my experience has been that you will find relief in what you discover. And so there are those of us who have just stepped away from church entirely. You know, we say, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm out. Most likely that's been because of other church people. But maybe that doesn't describe you. There are others of us who, who seem to kind of have conveniently lost Jesus in specific areas of our life. You know, we say, like, you know what, I am a Christian. I am, I am all in. I've been baptized. I'm a member of the church. I'm, I'm participating. I'm doing the things. I am a Christian. And we say that in one aspect of our life. But then there are these other aspects of our lives where... Where, you know what, like, we would really rather not Jesus follow me here. Right? We really have these kind of sequestered areas of our lives where we say, you know what, I really don't want Jesus as a part of this. Those parts of our lives come in, in our work where we have the opportunity to, to lie a little here to make ourselves look better. Or to cheat a little there to make ourselves a little bit more money. And we ignore the instruction in the Bible about honest weights and measurements. You know, or it comes, you know, late at night when, when no one else is looking and, and we're on our phone and, and that temptation rises in ourself. And we ignore the teaching of Jesus about lusting after others, about denigrating their livelihood to simply what they look like. You know, there are parts of our lives where we would really rather conveniently lose Jesus and, and publicly profess him, but then these other spaces, we'd really rather not Jesus follow. And if you're wondering if, if that's you, if you're wondering if that's a part of you or if that's what you do, consider this question. Have you changed any aspect of your life? And maybe even change the, any word to every. Have you changed any and every aspect of your life in light of what Jesus has done? So that whenever we go into work, or, or, or are we actively thinking about what Jesus would be like if he were there at your work? 
as we go about our lives, as we talk with our friends, as we are up late at night, are we constantly thinking about what would Jesus do if, we were, if he were here? Have you changed any and every aspect of your life in, in light of what Jesus has done? And, and if the answer is no to that, then maybe we have conveniently lost Jesus in these sequestered areas of our lives. Because Jesus is either Lord of all of us or none of us. Jesus doesn't just work and just say, you know what, like, I'll, I'll, I'll let you publicly profess me and, and this works here, then you can go and do whatever you want the rest of the week. Jesus is Lord of all of us or none of us. In fact, Dallas Willard says this, that, that we believe something when we act as if it were true. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Notice what he doesn't say. We believe something when we say we believe something. Right? We believe something when we gather around other people who say they believe those things and we all agree that we believe those things. Willard says that's not what belief is. Belief is when we act as if it were true. Jesus is Lord of all of us or none of us. We can't conveniently lose Jesus in these areas of our life and say that we believe him and others. That's why the first group of people left the church. We believe something when we act as if it were true. And so our goal every day is to encourage Jesus to be a part of all of our lives and to change every aspect of our lives so that we can look more like Jesus. In fact, there's this, there's this principle, there's this idea in Christianity called Christian perfection. And it sounds scary, but this is simply what it is, is being more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. Christian perfection is this idea that we can be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. So today, we are going to try to be more like Jesus and act like Jesus in this world. Today, we are going to improve ourselves and be more like Jesus than we were yesterday. So I want to encourage you to, to practice a couple of things, to, to do a couple of things Starting, starting this week, I, I want to encourage you, as you look at the new year, as you look at the year, new year, I want to encourage you to make a spiritual discipline a goal of yours in 2021. Maybe you're somebody who makes resolutions, or maybe you're just somebody who likes to try out new things at the beginning of the year, new year, whatever the case. I want encourage you to make a, a spiritual discipline a goal of yours in 2021. And if you're saying, like, I don't even know what a discipline would be, I don't know what that looks like, I encourage you to, to find this book. It's by Richard Foster. It's called Celebration of Discipline. Celebration of Discipline. And, and each chapter of this book is dedicated to a different discipline, a different thing that Christians have done for thousands of years in order to be more like Jesus in their lives. And I encourage you to find this book and maybe even read it with other people. There, there's an encouragement to, to practice the things that you read about there and then share your experience with other people. And so as you think about the next year and a resolution you might make, I encourage you to make a, a spiritual discipline, a goal of yours in 2021. And another goal, especially if, if you're a part of this church, if you consider yourself a part of Thrive, I encourage you to do this, to cultivate a relationship with somebody who doesn't know Jesus or doesn't have a church home. Cultivate a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus or doesn't have a church home. Why? Because the majority of people who have left the church didn't leave because of something they read about Jesus, because of something they saw church people do. And if we are ever going to be the light of Christ, if we are ever going to be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday, then we 
must gather with people who need him. If this world is going to get any better, if anything is going to change in our nation, in our politics, if anything is going to change in our world for the better, I believe with everything in my body that the change will come, that true lasting change will come from people who act more and more like Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that you would bless us in this moment. Wherever we are, God, if we are traveling now, if we're on the car, God, I pray for your protection. If we are at home in our living room, exhausted from this week, I I pray your blessing upon us. God, if we are lonely, if we are alone right now and have been alone throughout this holidays, I pray that you would bless us. That even now, wherever we are, I pray, God, that we would sense the power of your Holy Spirit in this moment. God, we pray for your strength. Because there are areas of our lives where where we have conveniently lost you, God. There are areas of our lives where we would rather you not follow us. And God, I pray for your strength to invite you into those moments. I pray for the courage to bring you there, God, to change every aspect of our life in light of what you have done. God, right now we pray for those who have stepped completely away from the church. And God, if we heard about their experience, if if we knew what it was like for them, God, we might have made the same decision. And God, I just pray that you would bless them now. That at this moment you would bring them nothing but comfort. God, that right now as they are watching, I pray that you would just bring them peace is all understanding that they can't quite understand it at this moment, God, but that you would just bring them comfort that comes with the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for your church. God, not just thrive, not just lover's lane, but your church universal. Every single person who professes you as their Lord and Savior. I pray for all of us that we would be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. We ask it by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.